0: I invite you to hear this word as it comes to us from several passages in the book of Amos as we hear from the Lord through his servant, the prophet. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of King Uzziah of Judah and in the days of King Jeroboam, son of Joash of Israel two years before the earthquake. And he said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherd wither and the top of Carmel dries up. And then in chapter 5 he says, Seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, just as has been said. Hate evil and love good. Establish justice within the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. I hate, I despise your festivals. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the melody of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It's a challenging time to be a preacher. It's probably always been a challenging time to be a preacher, but for some reason, this is the time that I'm alive to be a preacher, and it's a bit of a challenge. It's been a year since a surprise election in which two of the most unpopular candidates ever to run for president squared off And whether you supported the winner or not, I think it's just a simple fact that our nation seems to be as divided today as it was a year ago that night. The year following has brought continued stress as our political system has had to come to terms with a unique kind of president. The old wounds of racial animosity have been reopened as we debate whether statues should stand or athletes should kneel. Questions over foreign interference in our campaign and ongoing federal investigations dominate news coverage. We've been reminded once again that powerful men still perpetuate perpetuate sexual abuse and assault. The threat of nuclear war, which we thought had ended, has regained a place in our national consciousness. And we have once again seen the horror of innocent people killed in places where we thought we would be most safe. It's a challenging time to be a preacher because it's a challenging time to live. And we preachers are called to offer words of hope and words of challenge. A hopeful word that the world doesn't have to be this way and a challenging word that God calls us to live differently. Not as the world would demand, but as the way God calls us to live. And that's a challenging time to be a preacher because... Once we start meddling in any of this, we open ourselves to a very uh, dangerous charge of being political. We'd rather our preachers not meddle too much in our politics, stay stay around something a little bit less controversial like money and sin. (laughs) Of course, if we choose to say nothing our silence can be taken to mean that we support something that's happening or that we're too scared to really speak our mind so it's a challenging time to be a preacher so i'm glad that i'm not the preacher this morning she forget to tell No, I'm not the preacher this morning. Instead, I'm going to let the prophet Amos preach. Now, a preacher that I knew once said, if you like the prophet Amos, you haven't really read him. You see, God's prophet Amos is a man that not many of us would like. First, he comes from nowhere, a little village called Tekoa, in the southern kingdom of Judea. He's not from a powerful family. He's not from an important town. He's a nobody. Second, he's a shepherd by occupation. He's not well-educated. He's not wealthy. His hands are rough from work. His skin is leathered by the sun, and he smells, frankly, like sheep. Third, he brings a word of warning and danger during a time of economic prosperity and national security. The kingdom of Israel has never been better. And he comes to complain. Finally, he says that if we don't change our ways, God's judgment will be swift and certain. So he's not the kind of preacher that you invite over to dinner for a lovely meal. Amos receives a word from God to travel up to the northern kingdom of Israel. The kingdom, you may be reminded, has been divided by a civil war ever since the death of Solomon into the north and to the south. The northern kingdom known as Israel, the southern kingdom, known as Judea, and he is a prophet from the south, sent to the north, when the north is at its most prosperous and stable. From all outward appearances, King Jeroboam is doing a good job. There's plenty of money in the treasury, and there's no danger on the horizon. To which the prophet Amos says, I beg to differ. His first recorded prophetic words in chapter 1, verse 2, go like this. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds wither and the top of Carmel dries up. Now, since many of us are not shepherds professionally, we might miss what he said here. But his words reference the three most pressing dangers a shepherd might face. A roaring lion, a withered pasture, and a dried up stream. No water, no food, and a hungry predator. Amos seems to think the sheep are in danger, and they don't even know it. What's worse, the king, who's supposed to be the shepherd of the people, doesn't seem to care. And so God sends an experienced shepherd to bring a word of warning. Now we can't be surprised that the king doesn't want to hear. People in charge never want to hear that they're doing a bad job, particularly when all the evidence is to the contrary. And you can imagine King Jeroboam saying, What's the deal with this weird shepherd from the south? What's he complaining about? Everything's going fine. What doesn't he like? The peace or the prosperity? And it's not like Jeroboam is irreligious. All the other evidence we have from Scripture is that he seems to be a good king, religiously speaking. He's not like the other kings of Israel who will abandon God and move into false worship. Jeroboam seems to be doing all the things you would expect him to do as a religiously observant king. He keeps up all the sacrifices and all the feasts. He seems to be faithful to God. And yet Amos suggests that God is not impressed with Jeroboam's outward displays of piety. In chapter 5, verse 21, he says, and this is dangerous to read if you are a professional religious person who makes their living from outward displays of religious life. But Amos says this, I hate, I despise your festivals I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. The offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your gongs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. God seems to be saying to Jeroboam, Your worship is not enough. Your prayers are insufficient to address the challenges of your time. And if you are not going to address the pain of my people, I'd rather not hear the praise of your priests. We haven't figured it out yet. God is angry. And Amos is sent to tell them why. Elsewhere in verse five, chapter, in chapter five, verse 14, Amos says this: "Seek good and not evil, so that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you just as you have said. Hate evil and love good. Establish justice within the gate." It just may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Okay, so now we're beginning to figure out a little bit of why Amos is so mad and why God is so angry. It appears there's a bit of a problem underneath the surface. The economic prosperity and national security of Jeroboam's kingdom seems to be a facade, Obscuring injustice underneath. And God is calling the people to seek the good, to love the good, and to establish justice. And if they do that, then God will be gracious to them. But if not, He thinks He hears a lion roar. But what is justice? You may ask yourself. Now justice, I have found, is that kind of word that all of us knows what it means and that none of us can easily define it. It has something to do with fairness and reciprocity and treating people equally under the law. Justice is something that we hope will always prevail but we often know can be delayed and even denied. And here's a place where really good preachers can get off the rails really quickly. When we try to define justice, it's easy to declare, God wants justice. And then when we start to describe what justice is, we cite modern examples, uh, and then all of a sudden, God's justice ends up looking a lot like the preacher's personal political preferences. And it's amazing, I don't know if you've discovered this, it's amazing how often God agrees with the preacher. But again, I'm not the preacher this morning. And so let's let Amos tell us what he thinks justice is. In chapter 2, and in many other places, if you dare to read them, Amos gives a list of all the problems he sees in Israel. All the ways that the powerful are ignoring and even exploiting the people, ways that maybe even Jeroboam isn't aware of, even though he's supposed to be the king. It seems, to Amos' eyes, that the prosperity of the kingdom is built on the backs of the most vulnerable. Those whom the king of Israel is supposed to be protecting are the ones who seem to be suffering the most. Here's just one example. In chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, Amos describes some of the injustices he sees. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and they push the afflicted out of the way. Father and son, go into the same girl, so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge, and in the house of their God, they drink wine bought with fines they impose. So it seems that Amos has four examples of injustice in mind. First, people who owe small amounts of money are being sold into slavery to cover their debt. Second, the sick are being abandoned and sent into hiding. Third, sexual abuse and immorality is rampant. Fourth, the religious leaders. Rather than using the tithes to help any of these people, use them instead to buy better wine. So for Amos, the prophet of God, it is clear. To exploit the poor, to neglect the sick, to ignore abuse all while enriching your own finances is the very definition of injustice. And God is a God who demands that justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. So, what are we to do? Well, we don't have to do anything. I'm amazed how often we forget that we actually don't have to listen to God, you have that choice. You can ignore God. You can pretend that God is talking to someone else. You can hope that God won't notice what you do. And besides, we see people ignoring God all the time, and nothing ever seems to happen to them. Jeroboam does nothing, and he stays king. Of course, a violent earthquake rocks Israel in the last year of his reign. His son serves for six months before being assassinated by his own generals, which initiates three decades of violent coups and civil wars until Israel, in a weakened state, is defeated by the Assyrians. So you don't have to listen to God. But be careful. Because I think I just heard the lion roar. Now for those of us who desire to listen to God's word through Amos, let us return again to his clarion call. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. God calls through Amos for us to be a people of justice and righteousness. And I think it's critical for us to understand that God's justice and God's righteousness are inseparable. That justice is correcting the wrongdoings that have been done, and righteousness is living in right relationship with others and with God. And throughout the scripture, we see over and over that we can't have righteousness without justice, and our work for justice must bend toward righteousness. So, what does that look like in real life? Well, I don't know. Perhaps for our preacher this morning, Amos would say something like this It is justice to pay back what you have owed and borrowed, but it is righteous to forgive debts that can never be repaid. It is justice. For the sick to pay the doctors who heal them. It is righteous, though, to admit that we all stand in need of healing. It is justice to protect the innocent until proven guilty. But it is righteous to never blame victims for what happened to them. It is justice to reward hard work. It is righteousness to confess that all we have is a gift from God. It's difficult to be a people of justice and righteousness. But it is what God calls us to do. And for those who through God's justice seek God's righteousness, we are encouraged to keep working until it flows down like water. A refreshing promise for those who have withered through the long drought. Now, I hope that I haven't been too political. Because, as I have said in other times, there's really only one political thing that I do, and that is to baptize children to usher them into a family and to a way of life that is stronger than death itself, into a world that says many people will claim loyalty on your behalf, but there is only one to whom you are sworn allegiance forever, Jesus, the good shepherd, the righteous king. So that is something political that I do. All the other stuff is Amos' fault. You can get mad at him. Of course, there's one other preacher that you'll have to take issue with. Centuries after Amos, another preacher from a small town in the middle of nowhere stood in front of a skeptical crowd of people and said, blessed are those who thirst for righteousness for they shall see God. his name was Jesus whom some even dared to call the Lion of Judah may we listen to him so that we might seek the good establish justice so that we might live